Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap, hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation as a group. Today is Wednesday where we come together here on Facebook, YouTube, and Zoom, Twitch, Periscope, on our podcast, and help people to learn and practice meditation. Today we're doing breathing mindfulness meditation. Next week, we're going to be starting with our loving kindness meditation and doing that for four weeks. And then after that, we're going to be learning Buddhist chanting as part of our Wednesday practice session where we come together to encourage and support and motivate each other through kind of a community of all throughout the world being able to connect in together and have a group session where we're meditating and or chanting together. So I'd like to welcome you wherever you're seeing this or hearing this on our various platforms that we distribute out to and welcome you to learning and practicing the teachings of Gautama Buddha. In our group learning program on Sundays, we do a talk based on the teachings of Gautama Buddha from the book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. And we're going to, this Sunday, be talking about the 10 fetters, the four stages of enlightenment, and the seven factors of enlightenment. The 10 fetters are what needs to be eliminated in order to attain enlightenment and move through the four stages of enlightenment. And then the seven factors of enlightenment are seven practices that need to be in place to help fine tune and kind of optimize the mind as you're progressing on this path to awakening to this enlightened mental state where the mind's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. An enlightened mind will no longer experience any discontent feelings like sadness or anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy, all of these discontent feelings, the human being is plagued by these discontent feelings are completely eliminated from the mind as you train it to awaken to this enlightened mental state. And all it requires is for you to take some dedication and some effort to learn and practice the teachings over a consistent long-term period of time. And as you do, and you start learning and implementing these teachings, the mind will gradually improve. There's nothing here in Gautama Buddha's teachings that anyone needs to believe. There's really nothing that you should actually believe in terms of Gautama Buddha's teachings because belief isn't going to help you to determine what is the truth and acquire wisdom. 
The mind is awakened through wisdom. So there is no belief, and you shouldn't believe anything that I ever say, anything that I ever teach, anything that you ever read about Gautama Buddha's teachings, but instead you should learn the teachings, reflect on those, and then practice them so that you can see the truth for yourself. And that's what today is all about, is rather than believing that meditation is going to be helpful for you, let's actually practice it so that you can see that it is indeed improving the condition of the mind the more that you build up and develop this practice of meditation. So today is all about breathing mindfulness meditation where we're training the mind through a dedicated, active, purposeful training session to eliminate craving, desire, attachment from the mind and to cultivate mindfulness. Craving, desire, attachment is the cause of all discontent feelings. This is where the mind longs for something with a strong eagerness. You just really want something so badly. And if you get it, the mind is happy. It's excited. It's elated. But that's discontentedness. Or if you don't get the object of your affection, then the mind's angered or frustrated or irritated. This is discontentedness. And sometimes the mind doesn't even know what it wants. And oftentimes this will bring about boredom or loneliness or something like this. So it's this craving, desire, attachment, this mental longing with a strong eagerness where the mind longs for something externally and then wants to hold on to it very tightly that causes the discontent feelings in the mind. So what we're doing in breathing mindfulness meditation is training the mind to focus on the breath and let go, let go, or the Buddha called it cutting off the thoughts and bringing the mind to the breath where now you gain more and more control over the mind that it's no longer yearning or longing for this satisfaction and it's no longer attempting to have this craving desire attachment for these external things and trying to pull things in and hold them very closely. Because as I mentioned, if the mind gets what it wants, it gets excited and it gets happy and elated. But if it doesn't get it, then it's going to be angry or frustrated and irritated. And since you can't always get everything you want because of impermanence, that means if you long for these pleasant feelings, then at some point you're going to also experience these painful feelings. So breathing mindfulness meditation is training the mind to eliminate this mental longing with a strong eagerness and allowing it to reside peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy focused on the breath, training it to let go, let go. And in breathing mindfulness meditation, you're also cultivating this mindfulness or awareness of mind because as you're focused on the breath, if the mind wanders or as it wanders to the past or the future or it has various thoughts, ideas, and perceptions, you're going to be aware of that. The mind is going to get more and more awareness of this mind kind of longing in different directions. And when you do, you're going to cut that off, let it go, and bring the mind back to the breath. And over multiple, multiple sessions, through eliminating this craving, desire, attachment, and cultivating this awareness of mind or mindfulness, the mind starts to reside more and more in the present moment because the breath is the present moment. 
And what you need to do is train the mind through this practice of breathing mindfulness meditation to see all of these external things as impermanent. All these external things that the mind is longing for are all impermanent. They're constantly changing. They're not permanent. But the mind wants them to be permanent. This is why when someone dies, for example, that's close to you, the mind might become sad or have grief or sorrow. You know at a certain level that everybody needs to die. There's no way around that. We all have to die. So at an intellectual level, you understand that everyone has to die. But when somebody does die that's close to you, the mind has this longing and strong eagerness for permanence. It wants things to be permanent. And when things aren't permanent, the mind causes itself to be discontent. You're driving down the road. You have this lane of traffic and somebody comes and cuts you off. The mind was craving permanence. We're not talking about whether the person was right or wrong and how close they were to cutting you off. But the fact is, is that the mind craves this permanence where you have this clear line of road where you can drive. And now when somebody cuts you off, the mind doesn't like that because it's craving permanence. Or if you have a certain cell phone or computer or some pin or some object that you use frequently and now you lose it or someone steals it or it breaks, then the mind becomes discontent because the mind is craving permanence. It has this mental longing with a strong eagerness for this external thing to be permanent. So all of these situations and many more are all creating in the mind this discontentedness because the same core problem of craving desire attachment is that mental longing with strong eagerness that is causing the mind to be discontent whether it's somebody who dies whether it's someone cuts you off in traffic whether it's you lose or misplace or your phone breaks the cause the underlying cause that is causing the discontentedness in the mind is exactly the same it's craving desire attachment so this particular meditation is going to slowly gradually train the mind to see all of these external things as impermanent and when the mind awakens and it gets this wisdom to understand that all these things are impermanent not only these external things but even when somebody talks to you you're going to have some people agree with you and some people who disagree with you because it's not possible for a hundred percent of the people a hundred percent of the time to agree with you that's not possible so when somebody disagrees with you if your mind is awakened to impermanence you can train the mind that okay this is just impermanent someone disagrees with me and now i can talk kind polite and respectful to this person and I don't need to have anger or frustration. And gradually you train the mind to let go and stop craving this permanence. That's the underlying core problem that Gautama Buddha discovered. But it's only this meditation that is going to help you to eliminate that along with practicing generosity, which we're going to get into later in our program because there's kind of two core antidotes that the Buddha gave us as a way of 
eliminating and eradicating this core central problem of craving, desire, attachment. And in order to observe these feelings arise and cut them off, we need to develop awareness of mind in meditation. That's mindfulness. So that then in daily life, as things are happening and we see this discontentedness arising in the mind with awareness of mind, you can cut that off and let it go. But you will only be able to do that if you've trained in meditation more and more and more. It'll become easier for you to let go in daily life so that the mind's not holding on and causing itself to be discontent. So I would like to invite you to pull up a meditation cushion, to get a chair, to either lie on the floor if you're going to do lying position or if you're going to do standing position, do standing position where you can take up a meditation position of either standing, lying or sitting in order to do meditation. So from the seated position is where we normally teach you starting out is you would like to have the lower body nice and comfortable but not luxurious. So put the lower body either on the floor or in a chair. If you're on the floor, you probably would like to put some cushions under your rear so that you lessen the angle at your hips and your knees and your ankles and you allow the circulation to flow in your legs. Because if you're feeling pain in any part of the body, it's going to be hard to train the mind because the mind is going to be experiencing pain, 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 pain. So you would like to have the lower body stable and comfortable, but not luxurious. So if you're sitting on the floor, you probably need some cushions to kind of lessen that angle at the hips, knees, and ankle. Your upper body should be nice and erect, right? So if you're in a chair or you're sitting on the floor, don't lean back up against something, unless it's just absolutely necessary in order to eliminate pain. And even then, just kind of do a lightly leaning back in order just to support the upper body but don't allow the upper body to collapse because then the mind is going to have a tendency to become inattentive. You would like to maintain this attentiveness of the mind by keeping the upper body erect through the spine. The hands and the arms, the Buddha put his right hand over his left with his thumbs together, and then this all goes into the lap. But if that doesn't work for you, again, you know, it's not about permanence because we know impermanence. So if that doesn't work for you or it doesn't feel comfortable, there's other options like placing your palms on your thighs or your knees, putting your arms on the armrest, maybe putting your palms up, whatever is comfortable for you. Essentially, your meditation position should be such that all the muscles in the body are essentially relaxed, except for this middle part of the body where it's nice and erect and that helps to engage the muscles and it keeps the mind attentive and alert so that we can access it and train the mind because the mind's the boss the body's the employee we need to go through the employee in order to get to the boss so we keep this body active and attentive if the employees are too luxurious then they're not going to want to take us to go see the boss so we would like to keep the employee comfortable but not luxurious. So we keep this body comfortable, not in pain. And if any time during meditation you experience any pain, just move or shift your body in order to get comfortable during the meditation. 
from this meditation position with the lower body comfortable, the upper body erect and the hands and arms comfortable, just close the eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. I'm gonna provide you some guidance here before I do chanting and then we'll do some more guidance at the end of chanting as well before we go into our meditation. So just start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose with your eyes closed. Breathing in and out. Your breath doesn't need to be synced up to the guidance that I'm giving you. I'm just helping you to remember to breathe in through the nose and out through the nose. Just start creating a nice, consistent breath where you're not controlling the breath, you're not forcing the breath, you're just allowing it to happen naturally. Breathing in and out. What you're going to want to do is focus the mind on the breath. The sound of the breath or the sensation of air entering the nose. The breath is the present moment. So you'd like to fixate the mind on the breath. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. You just stay here for a moment while I'll do some chanting. And those of you guys that know this chanting, you're welcome to chant along together. And then I'll be back with some more guidance. Potang mahakawanhang apivate elmi. Sawakato mahakawata tamo. Damang namasami. Sopatipano mahakawato sawakasangho sanghang namami napmodhasabhakawato Arahato Sama Samputasa Napmodhasa Bhakavato Arahato Sama 
Sampotasa Napmo Arhasa Bhagavato Arahato Sampotasa Iti Piso Mahakawa Arahang Sammasamhoto Uichacharanang Samhono Sakato Rokavito Anutero Purisa Dama Sati Satatawa Manu Sanang Puto should be breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. As you notice that the mind has wandered to the past or to the future, just cut that off and let it go. You haven't done anything wrong. No need to feel guilty or shameful. You haven't failed at meditation. It's just the unenlightened mind doing what it does. It's longing for the past or longing for the future. So cut that off, let it go, and bring the mind back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. As there's various thoughts, ideas, or perceptions that come into the mind, you don't need to label them. You don't need to judge them. You don't need to figure out where they're coming from. No need to feel guilty or shameful. You haven't done anything wrong. It's just the unenlightened mind having craving, longing with a strong eagerness. It doesn't want to stay in the present moment. So you just cut off those thoughts, let them go, and bring the mind back to the breath the present moment. 
Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. The unenlightened mind's going to want to hold on. That's why it's holding on to the past, the future, thoughts, ideas, perceptions. It may even want to hold on to this voice. But I'm going to be quiet soon so that we can train the mind to go inward and not hold on to anything external by just focusing on the breath, breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. All this external stuff is all impermanent. The thoughts are impermanent. The sensations in the body are impermanent. The feelings are impermanent. Whatever the condition of the mind, it's impermanent. It can be improved through training the mind to focus on the breath. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. Just focus on the breath. Breathing in. and out. Breathing in and out.
What we did today is breathing mindfulness meditation. Gautama Buddha explains this as being essentially the best thing that you could ever do for your practice is actually doing breathing mindfulness meditation, developing the perception of impermanence where the mind starts to understand and starts to practice that these thoughts and ideas, perceptions are all impermanent. These physical sensations in the body are all impermanent. All this external stuff around us, it's all impermanent. Even this physical body itself, it's impermanent. It's constantly changing. There's no fixed, constant, steady state of this body or these external things. 
And the more that you train the mind to let go of all these external things in the thoughts and feelings in the mind, then the mind will reside peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently. But in order to get there, you have to first train the mind to understand and be comfortable with impermanence. So if you're interested in moving to this enlightened mind, you should be meditating daily, once, twice, three times a day. I recommend two to three times a day, morning and evening or morning, evening with a midday as well. That could be your third meditation where you're consistently training the mind to let go, let go, let go, cut off these thoughts, let them go. And the more that you do this over a consistent period of time, you start gaining control over the mind. Rather than the thoughts and the mind controlling you, you're actually controlling the mind. So that now in daily life, when discontentedness arises, sadness, anger, frustration, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, jealousy, any of these discontent feelings arise, if you've done the work, each day over a consistent period of time, then you can readily cut off those feelings and let them go because you've trained the mind to do that over a course of many meditation sessions. And by you doing that, where you're training the mind in meditation and then actively cutting off these discontent feelings in daily life, eventually, as you learn and practice these teachings, you get to the point where these discontent feelings, they don't even arise. Anger will never arise in the mind. Frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, jealousy, resentment. You'll have trained the mind so well that these discontent feelings won't arise. But it's going to take some time. And what happens is if your emotions and your feelings are really strong and really heightened, then over time, what you'll see as you train in these teachings and you train the mind, they will soften and soften and soften and soften where you'll experience less and less and less discontentedness till, as I mentioned, eventually these discontent feelings, they won't even arise because you have such control over the mind and the mind is residing in the present moment that it's no longer during meditation or outside of meditation it's no longer experiencing any discontent feelings whatsoever, but it takes your dedication and work to get there. So I would like to open things up to any questions that you guys might have about breathing mindfulness meditation or anything that we've been teaching so far in this program. We have moderators James and Bassam who are going to be getting the questions from Facebook, YouTube, and Zoom and make sure those get brought into the class and answered during the class. So you can just type your question into the comment section and they will be sure to see those either in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. And if you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions directly if you like. So I'll just turn things over to all of you to ask any questions about your meditation practice or any aspect of your practice <clears throat> that you're needing help or seeking guidance on at this point i have a question to start us off david given that meditation is a way to experientially understand the three universal truths 
is this understanding anything that we should be consciously looking for in our meditation or does it tend to manifest itself as we meditate yeah so this first universal truth of impermanence Gautama Buddha explains in his teachings that you need to develop the perception of impermanence essentially what he's saying is you need to soak impermanence into the mind and develop it in the mind where you just understand all this conditioned things these external things these conditioned thoughts they're all impermanent and you need to soak that into the mind very deeply and it takes time to do that so he talks about not only breathing mindfulness meditation and focusing on the breath and all these things but he talks about developing the perception of impermanence one of the ways that you can do that and i don't suggest you do this every session but one of the ways that you can do this is as you're in meditation and a bodily sensation, for example, arises, like you get a little piece of dust on your skin or some little tickling, itching sensation arises in the body, you can just focus on the breath and just repeat over and over, impermanent, 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 impermanent. And then what you'll notice is that bodily sensation will subside over time or that little tickling sensation because of a piece of dust that lands on your skin or some thought that enters into the mind <clears throat> you can just say impermanent 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 or when you're walking down the street and you're walking on the sidewalk and you see a crack in the sidewalk ah impermanence you're walking down the street you see a fence that one section of it is painted you know very pristine you know brand new paint another section is old and deteriorated ah impermanence or you're looking at pictures of this existence and you see pictures when you were a child and you see pictures now and you see the physical body has changed ah impermanence or you see your car and you remember the car that you purchased once was very beautiful maybe it was a brand new car or it was somewhat new and now it's deteriorated over time ah impermanence your child comes home with good grades the next time they come home they're not so good ah impermanence right you can start identifying impermanence in your meditation and you can identify it outside of meditation and just soak it into the mind so deeply but you shouldn't do this in your meditation all the time because you need to focus the mind on the breath and letting go of thoughts and cutting thoughts. But if for a week or two or three, it helps you to develop that perception of impermanence to just repeat impermanence every time a thought arises or a bodily sensation happens, you can do that. And that will help you to identify impermanence in the physical body, in the thoughts and in the environment around you so that you can see that it's truth. That's why we call it a universal truth but you need to see it as truth and you need to see the wisdom yourself you need to independently verify the teachings of impermanence then in terms of discontentedness the second universal truth those painful feelings pleasant feelings and feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant so that anger sadness frustration irritation guilt shame fear all of that stuff the happiness excitement elation pleasant feelings 
or that boredom, loneliness, jealousy, whatever you consider to be neither painful nor pleasant, something like shyness. When these feelings arise in you or in other people, you can identify the craving and you can see it. There's usually more than one and you can confirm for yourself that all discontentedness arises because of craving, desire, attachment, this mental longing with a strong eagerness. You can even do this with other beings like dogs, right? If you're walking down the street and everything's really quiet and then all of a sudden a dog starts barking, well, that's impermanence, right? Because first it was quiet, now the dog's barking. Well, why is the dog barking? Because their mind is discontent, right? They're angry, right? Or they're frustrated, they're irritated. They're discontent. Why? Because their mind's craving permanence. They didn't want anybody walking in front of their yard. They didn't want anybody around their house. Their mind is craving this permanence where only them and their owners, for example, are in that particular area. So their mind becomes discontent and rubber, rubber, rubber. So you can see it in dogs. You can see it in human beings. You can see it in your own mind where you can see, aha, discontentedness, discontentedness, the mind's craving permanence. And even when you get happy or excited or elated, if that's feelings that you're having still, when that happens, you can identify why it happened through something that you were craving or you were desiring you were attached to some mental longing and a strong eagerness that you had. Aha, there's that happiness. There's that excitement. There's that elation because you got what you wanted. And then in this situation, you didn't get what you wanted. And now the mind is sad or angered or frustrated, or you experience this boredom or loneliness because maybe your mind is craving to be around people. And now when people aren't around, you're feeling lonely. So you can identify this discontentedness and see the truth of the Four Noble Truths yourself independently. If you understand intellectually what these universal truths are, like impermanence and discontentedness, you can go out and independently prove that for yourself so that you gain wisdom. That's practice. That's your practice, not just in meditation, but outside. You need to walk around and observe these teachings because they're the natural laws of existence. These natural laws, these truths exist everywhere around you. So you can independently prove that these teachings are true and gain that wisdom. And likewise, with the third universal truth of non-self, the more that you understand what non-self is, it's how the mind really doesn't have a permanent self, but the unenlightened mind thinks that there is a permanent self. The unenlightened mind falsely identifies this physical body and this mind as being a self. This is the self-identity or the self-image. And the unenlightened mind falsely identifies this body and mind as being the self. And as long as it does that, it's going to protect it it's going to defend it. It's going to become discontent if somebody does something around you that infringes on the self-identity or the self-image. And you're not going to be able to just relax and be peaceful 
because you're always going to have this fear or this interest, this desire, this wanting to protect the self from any kind of infringement from people around you. And you can see that there is no permanent self by reflecting. You can sit in a chair, you can sit at a park, you can think about your life when you were a child, when you were adolescent, when you were early adulthood, and now, and you can see how your image and your identity of who you think you are has been constantly changing. It hasn't remained the same, but yet the mind thinks there's a permanent self. The unenlightened mind thinks there's a permanent self, and this is causing it to be fearful in certain situations. It's causing it to be frustrated and irritated in certain situations because there's this protection of the self, the self-image and the self-identity. So identifying these teachings as being truth is one thing. And then practicing it is the next thing. So that when impermanence comes, you identify it as impermanence rather than doing the opposite, which is craving permanence and allowing the mind to become discontent. So you've got to identify all these things in your natural environment around you and then practice and practice where when you see impermanence, just know that that's impermanence rather than trying to crave permanence. Or when you see discontentedness, identify the craving, desire, attachments that are causing it. Or when you see that your mind is getting discontent because somebody's commenting on your self-image or your identity, or you feel that is infringed upon and you see the ego starting to rise because of that, and there's some arrogance that comes in, identify that as, ah, that's the self. I need to let that go or else I'm just going to be discontent anytime I face one of these situations. So this is how you soak the teachings into the mind gradually over time. So the meditation practice is what we do on a normal daily basis as a way of consistently training the mind. But you also need to go out into the world. You also need to sit and reflect. You also need to observe these teachings in daily life so that the mind becomes more and more comfortable, more and more accustomed to practicing the teachings understanding these natural laws of existence so that the mind no longer becomes discontent and uncomfortable because it's very uncomfortable to live in a world that you don't understand right that's why the mind becomes discontent because the unenlightened mind doesn't understand all these natural laws and it's very uncomfortable the mind sometimes feels miserable it sometimes feels very sorryful lots of displeasure it doesn't feel comfortable existing in a world that it doesn't understand. The unenlightened mind thinks it understands and it thinks that it needs to go around and change everybody. It thinks it needs to change the situation. It thinks it needs to go around and fix all this external stuff. And if it does that, then the mind feels like it's going to be peaceful. But the mind can't fix all this external stuff, all this external things are going to always be changing. And the unenlightened mind, it doesn't know what it doesn't know. This is the ignorance or the unknowing of true reality. So the unenlightened mind finds it oftentimes very uncomfortable to exist in the world because it doesn't understand these natural laws. 
So the only way to get the mind to understand these natural laws is to soak it in by going around and observing it in the world more and more and more and more and more. And even you do that over the course of a week or two, that's not going to eliminate the discontentedness. You've got to consistently chip away at this and constantly observe these universal truths, the Four Noble Truths. You need to constantly be learning and practicing the Eightfold Path. But eventually, as the mind comes into this, these teachings soak in more and more, it becomes first nature where you're just able to operate through these natural laws without even thinking about it. So it seems it's quite important that in cultivating our right view that we're understanding through our meditations, outside of our meditation, and also practicing the teachings. It seems to just be a constant life practice, essentially. Yeah, that's why I call this book a life practice, because moment by moment by moment by moment, you just got to be practicing the teachings all the time. And at the beginning, it's a bit of a challenge, right? Because you're ramping up. You don't understand what you don't understand. So for the first several months, maybe the first year or two, you know, it's a lot of work, a lot of effort. You've got to not be complacent and really put effort behind this practice. You've got to have energy to put initiative behind actively learning and practicing. And as you do in these natural laws become more and more soaked into the mind, now it just becomes first nature and life becomes so smooth and fluid because you just understand what's happening around you. It's no longer uncomfortable to exist in the world. It's no longer miserable because when things happen, you know exactly why it happened, right? So when you walk out and you see that scratch on your car in the past where you might have gotten angry and frustrated because the mind was craving permanence, had this mental longing and strong eagerness to keep the car permanently looking beautiful. As you learn these teachings and they soak in more and more and you walk out and you see the scratch, ah, that makes sense. There's impermanence. Uh, I guess I'll get that fixed at some point or whatever you decide to say or whatever you think. But you know the answer isn't to get angry. That in that situation, there's just no benefit to getting angry ever, right? There's no benefit to the frustration or the guilt or the shame. So the mind gradually starts to awaken through this wisdom and it realizes more and more that there's no benefit in these discontent feelings and when they arise the mind gets better and better at cutting them off and letting them go because of this training of breathing mindfulness meditation and as you do and the mind becomes more and more wise eventually these feelings never arise in the mind anymore you just come out and say oh okay a scratch all right i guess i'll deal with that at some point you know right now you know i don't have the money or my insurance hasn't kicked in yet so I'll deal with that at another time or whatever you end up doing. You know, you have free will to make whatever decision you're going to make about a certain situation. But the mind will have wisdom enough to know that there's just no benefit in getting angry or frustrated about this situation. It's not going to change anything. Thank you, David. We have a few questions from Zoom, so let's go to Basim to ask those. Okay. Well, uh, there's a question here from Sarah. She says, uh, what helps against falling briefly asleep during meditation, especially during evening meditation? This is a problem for me. Some of the best ways to deal with sleepiness during meditation 
is you can change your position. So if you're normally doing seated meditation and you're dozing off and dozing off, you can stand up, change your position. That will help you to stay alert and awake. You can also do walking meditation, which is a challenge for me to teach in this live setting. But there's walking meditation that you can do that I need to make a video at some point to help share how I do walking meditation. So these are two options that you can do in order to maintain your alertness. But also just know that part of meditation, oftentimes the mind does become sleepy. And this is an indication that the mind needs rest. And sometimes it's just better to go ahead and get some rest. So I've noticed that when I first started meditating for the first several months, I used to get very, very sleepy and I would just go to sleep and get some rest. And then for many years, I haven't gotten sleepy during meditation at all. But in the last week or so, I've noticed my evening meditation has also been a little bit sleepy where I've kind of been dozing off a little bit and I'll kind of come back to meditation a few times and make sure I get some good meditation. But then eventually I just go to sleep and that's what the mind needs is it needs some rest. But I can do that because I know at other points in my day, I'm meditating and still training the mind. So every single meditation, you're not going to be completely alert and attentive because that would be permanence. So there's going to be some meditation sessions where the mind does become sleepy and you can either change to standing or walking or you can kind of fend it off for a while and get as much meditation as you can and then eventually just go to sleep and know that in the morning or afternoon you're going to get some more meditation and that's okay that's fine so that's just part of the impermanent nature of meditation that sometimes you'll be sleepy and sometimes you won't okay a, a question from uh, holly she says uh, if during meditation i find that the mind is so busy and i am unsuccessful at cutting off thoughts and focusing on breath uh, should i just in the session and try again at a later time or continue to try to cut off the thoughts you can do it both ways. That's the short answer. The additional answer that I would share here is that you're going to have some sessions where you're able to cut off thoughts and some sessions that you won't be able to, right? That's impermanence. That's the impermanent nature of your meditation. As you get closer and closer to enlightenment, then of course your mind's going to come more and more to the present moment and it'll be really easy to just keep the mind in the present moment and focused on the breath. But as that is happening over multiple months and years, you're going to have this up and down with your meditation. So it's not that when you're meditating and you can't keep the mind focused on the breath, that's not a failure of your meditation because the goal isn't to eliminate the thoughts. The goal is to train the mind to be able to more actively bring it back and bring it back and bring it back and bring it back. So if during meditation, the thought arises and then you notice it two minutes, three minutes, and then boom, you bring it back. And then it stays there in the present moment for a few seconds. And then at some point it drifts again and you bring it back and you bring it back and you bring it back. And this is happening constantly throughout your meditation. That's actually good for the mind. I mean, the goal is for the mind to reside in the present moment all the way through the meditation, but that's not going to happen until you're enlightened all the way then, right? So that's a, a long way from now. So what you're actually doing is you're training to get more and more control over the mind. So it's actually beneficial 
that as you're there and the mind is wandering to the past, to the future, all these thoughts and ideas are coming in, that you just keep bringing it back and bringing it back and bringing it back and bringing it back. So you're training the mind to let go and come back and come back and come back. And that's beneficial for the mind. So you can stay in meditation 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes and keep doing that over and over and over and over and over again. And that will actually be beneficial for the mind that subsequent meditations will be a little bit easier in daily life. When discontentedness arises, it'll be easier because you kind of went through that struggle. You didn't shrink back from the struggle. You stayed there in your meditation and you constantly brought it back to the breath. But you can also at certain times decide, okay, this is enough. You know, my mind's been pretty active and I feel like I got a really good training session, whether that's 10, 20, 30, 50 minutes, an hour, what have you, that you realize that, okay, wow, I've done this a lot. My mind's kind of overburdened at this point. Let me just stop here and then I'll do meditation again at another point. So you're never going to, while you're making your way to enlightenment, have the same meditation every single session. You might go a week or two or three where things are really still, really quiet. You're able to focus on the present moment and your meditation in the mind is pretty calm. But then you can have chatter start to come back in. So there's not this like consistent progression to enlightenment like this. It's more like, you know, this really busy up and down, up and down. And you have these periods of, okay, there's three weeks or four weeks or even a couple of days of stillness, but then the mind's going to do this again. And that's just how the mind works. So don't see the busyness in the mind as a failure or being unsuccessful because you're training the mind in that situation so that you can gain more and more control. So just keep with it and you can decide whether your mind's overworked or overburdened. Maybe you need to stop and not do meditation for a few hours and then do another session. But that doesn't mean when you come back to the next session that the mind's going to be still, right? It could be still, but it might not be. So it's only by struggling through those times of when the mind isn't still that it's going to make it still. So if every time the mind gets busy, if you stopped meditating and you didn't go through that struggle, then you're not going to get to the stillness. So you've got to push through that by just sticking with it and not shrinking back from the struggle. Okay. Uh, another question from Sarah. She says, uh, when I meditate, sometimes my eyeballs start moving in my closed eyes. I have to focus very strongly to relax them and then get distracted what should i do should i ignore it or try to stop it you can just relax the mind it's usually the mind that is overactive or busy and that's going to make the eyes move or the eyelids or you can have shaking and shuddering in the body you know the arms the the feet the legs can be shaking even your upper torso some people will kind of shake in meditation or spin or things like this it's from the mind and it's the mind unraveling and this is normal. So just stay focused on the breath and stay focused on relaxing the mind rather than trying to control the eyes, focus on controlling the mind 
and this will bring better control of any kind of physical movements in the body. Okay, uh, there's a question here, teacher. Uh, do you think that the mind is affected by uh, fixed times for uh, uh, repeated meditation? I mean that uh, if meditation is being repeated every day at the same time, does this affect the mind? There's no possible way that you can fix your time of meditation and meditate at the same time every day. It's not possible because of impermanence. So if you said every day at 8 a.m. I'm going to meditate, it's not possible for you to do that. And if you're trying to do that, it means the mind doesn't understand impermanence, that it's trying to fixate on this permanent time and meditating at the same time every day. Your mind in the body, it doesn't know what time it is. You need to do an enormous amount of training over the course of many months and years. So having a fixed time isn't going to change your meditation. Let me give you an example. I often describe meditation as collecting water in a bucket, that the mind is really thirsty, your bucket's empty, and while you're meditating, you're scooping water in this bucket so that you can get water. Now, if you're really thirsty, are you only going to go scoop water at 8 a.m. every morning? And that's the only time you're going to scoop water is at 8 a.m. And if it's 7.30, that means you can't scoop water. Or if it's 9 a.m., you're not going to scoop water because the water isn't as good at 7.30 as it is at 8 a.m. Or it's not as good at 9 a.m. as it is at 8 a.m. Of course, it's the same, right? The body and the mind doesn't care. It just needs this water. Whether you scoop it at 7.30, 8 a.m. or 9 a.m., you need to scoop the water. So don't try to fix your time of meditation because the body and the mind doesn't care. It's thirsty. It needs this meditation. It needs this water. So whenever you can scoop water, scoop water. Whenever you can meditate, meditate. And if you have an anchor point, like for me, I know when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to meditate. But what time I wake up every day is different. And I know that in the evening before I go to bed, I'm going to meditate. But whatever time I go to bed at night, it's always different. And I typically will oftentimes meditate in the middle of the day, sometimes in classes like this or other times. And that's always different. But I have these times that I know that generally I'm going to be meditating in these parts of the day. But the specific time doesn't actually matter. And if you're craving to meditate at exactly the same time every day, then you haven't allowed impermanence to soak into the mind and realize that that is actually impossible and it doesn't actually benefit the mind at all. It actually makes things worse because the mind's still craving this permanence. Okay, thanks, Sitcher. Uh, no more questions Zoom, uh, for now. Okay. All right, David, it seems like that's all the questions we have for today. Okay, so all of you that are looking to actively train in the Buddhist teachings to develop this life practice over the last month and the rest of this week, you should be doing breathing mindfulness meditation as part of your daily practice. Once, twice, three times a day, build it up where it's closer to two or three times a day and it's closer and closer to about 30 minutes per session without timing it. No need to time it, but just generally kind of get in that ballpark you know, more or less. 
so that you know that two or three times a day, you're training the mind and breathing mindfulness meditation over the course of each day. And if you skip a session here or there, or you forget, or you're too tired and you say, you know what, I'm not gonna meditate today, I'm gonna go to sleep, that's fine, but just don't allow the mind to become complacent where that becomes two or three or four days where you're not meditating, right? You need to ensure that every day you're meditating and your schedule of meditation, there's no such thing as a schedule to meditate because that would be permanence and it's not possible. But you need to be consistently meditating two or three times a day each day and just know that that's going to fluctuate here and there. And if you continue to do that for the rest of this week, next Wednesday, we're going to add to breathing mindfulness meditation, we're going to add loving kindness meditation. And you will get more benefit out of your loving kindness meditation if you've really well developed this breathing mindfulness meditation. So we're going to add that in because that takes care of a whole separate problem that the Buddha discovered. Breathing mindfulness meditation takes care of this primary problem that causes discontentedness, which is craving, desire, attachment, these expectations, this wants, this clinging. That's what this meditation is taking care of, and it's cultivating awareness of mind or mindfulness. But when I talk about loving kindness meditation next week, I'm going to explain to you this other problem that Gautama Buddha discovered about the mind that loving kindness meditation takes care of. And now you will just fold this in and incorporate it in to your meditation practice. And we're going to do four Wednesday sessions of loving kindness meditation, which we will start out with breathing mindfulness meditation. Then we will move into loving kindness meditation. And then we will exit with some more breathing mindfulness meditation. So loving kindness meditation is kind of put right in the middle. So that's why you need this breathing mindfulness meditation as a foundation, as a platform in which to build on. And then towards the very end of March, I'm going to teach the Buddhist chanting for those of you guys that are interested in learning Buddhist chanting and how that can actually be helpful and beneficial to your practice. So that's what our Wednesdays look like over the coming month. This Sunday, we're going to be talking about the 10 fetters, the four stages of enlightenment, the seven factors of enlightenment. This is kind of a preview of chapter three, which is in the book. We're kind of going right to the heart of chapter three and covering these things because there's some students who have been studying online with me for the better part of a year, and they've been progressing in their practice and they may be getting to a point where they need to start focusing on these 10 fetters in order to start eliminating them. And even for those of you guys that are starting out this program in a new way, and this you're kind of new to the program, it's really good for you to be aware of these 10 fetters because this is what you need to actually eliminate in order to attain enlightenment. You need to eliminate these 10 fetters from the mind, or we also call them taints or pollution. So we're going to be focusing on this on Sunday. So I look forward to seeing you on either Sunday or Wednesday so that we can continue the training. And then the following Sunday, a week and a half from now, that's where we're going to start chapter one of the book, Developing a Life Practice. So continue to meditate, continue to learn, continue to not only learn and reflect on the teachings, but practice them in daily life where you can be polite, kind, friendly, and respectful 
to all the people and all the beings around you. So until our next class, I'll see you then. Sawadihap. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment. Enlightenment.